When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, so I'm not sure why I'm making this video, but I just saw the series or season finale of Beef on Netflix, the series uh, that's come out recently and has a lot of critical acclaim and all that. Ali Wong, um, A24 Studio, which I I love those guys because they did everything everywhere all at once. And I I had started watching the series um, and I had trouble, like I had to stop watching it because it was so, and by the way, this, this, uh, this, what I'm gonna talk about is containing all the spoilers. So if you're planning to still watch this, don't watch what I'm saying right now. <laughs> Come back and watch it after you see the, the whole series if you don't want spoilers. All right. So I started watching it and it was so clear. First of all, it resonated on a personal level because of the cultural stuff. Like I, you know, I'm an immigrant, I'm a child of immigrants. There's all the intergenerational trauma stuff. There's the immigrant mentality. You know, I'm married to an Asian woman, all of this stuff. It just resonates more than a lot of stuff that's on TV that doesn't have that particular cultural fit. So then when it, go, when it starts going, you can just feel into the main characters and all the ancillary characters, all their emotional repression, their conflicted desires, the constant chasing of happiness, the American dream, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a kind of collective delusion, a kind of insanity that humans have institutionalized, particularly in this country, that somehow through acquisition, we can make ourselves whole. And what no one talks about is how there's the fundamental sense of brokenness at the core so there's the the feeling, even in our Judeo-Christian sort of you know mythology, that man is a broken creature that needs to find God to become whole. And so there's this sense that we're these shameful, wicked, broken, empty things, and so we go out in the world trying to find wholeness or happiness. And the two main characters are out seeking a way to fill this void. And you can see it unfold in tragic sequence, starting with the road rage incident, which is all just repressed anger and self-hate coming out at someone else. And I've talked about road rage before, and I've talked about my own experiences with anger as a boundary violation and as a projection of some way to avoid looking inward at something that may feel shameful or inadequate or broken or humiliating or whatever it is. And so to watch these characters kind of just play this out, this inevitable dance was really affecting, like really kind of hard to watch because I could feel everything that they were repressing. And I think a lot of the audience can. It's kind of tragic, it's funny, but it's tough if you allow yourself to experience it in that way. So last night I was like, you know, all right, my, again, my wife who recently just had kind of a big shift in her own perception was like, I can't watch this, it's too much. Like I'm feeling all there, it's just really hard to watch that degree of delusion play out 
um, because it just hits, it hits very directly. So she wouldn't watch it. So I was like, okay, she's on a three hour call with, you know, whatever at work. And I'm like, I'm just gonna binge watch this thing because otherwise I'm never gonna watch it. So I sat and I watched the whole thing. And I mean, I, I there was a point where I, I literally felt like I was traumatized <laughs> Be, because it is archetypal human delusion, repression, intergenerational trauma, um, and that seeking, that seeking for something better that is never fulfilled in this relative world, never fulfilled. It will never be fulfilled um, in the way that you, the mind thinks that it will. It, the mind is like a hamster on a wheel chasing a carrot and the carrot is always just out of reach. And it may get a little crumb or a little bit and be, oh, oh okay, slow down the wheel for a second and then it's right back on the wheel. And so it was very hard to watch until the very last episode. And, and it gets crazy. In the last two episodes, right, nutty things happen. Everything unravels in a way that was almost predicted by the karma. You know, it was like check what Chekhov says, the author, if you see a gun in act one, it's gonna be fired by act three, right? Or whatever the quote was. So everything, all the guns get fired in that way. In the second to last episode, then in the final episode, Danny and Amy are basically trapped in the wilderness after running each other off the road, continuing to try to kill each other. But you can start to see things are cracking. First of all, they're barely surviving because they don't have water and food and they have to start relying on each other. Then Amy tells him to eat some like plants that she thinks are elderberries and it turns out it's some poisonous, maybe psychedelic plant. <laughs> partially psychedelic, definitely poisonous. And now they're basically sitting under a tree vomiting and things are starting to fall away. Now, why did this resonate with me so much? Because this is awakening. This is the journey. This is the hero's journey of the human in the relative world waking up to the fact that they were never there in the way they thought, that the self they thought was so shameful and so broken and so fallen from grace never even existed. And all there is, is this. And when this is allowed to come to light, as it is, when your experience, your emotion, your trauma, you, all of it, your thoughts are seen as what they are, then there's just this, and that's awakening. It's the most radical shift and it's the most ordinary shift, but it changes the game because it's not just that you win the hamster wheel and you get the carrot, it's that the carrot and the hamster wheel were seen to never exist. And there's just the radiant, unconditional love of this moment. So how does this unfold for our protagonists, our antagonists here in Beef, which by the way, I think is one of the great shows for this reason, that it is the archetypal hero's journey of awakening. Well, um, first, they had to see and suffer the loss of everything they thought was stable and real in their lives. For Danny, he's always had Paul, his brother, as what he desired. He wanted that, he was lonely, he was bullied. You see that through flashbacks. I mean, it's a tragic story, right? Lonely and bullied growing up, then his parents have Paul to help keep him company. And Paul, in a way, saves him 
from this really brutal world, but he becomes possessive. He, he owns Paul in a way. He wants Paul to be a part of him and to do as he envisions to the point where it becomes so delusional that when Paul is applying for college, Danny secretly through flashback, you learn this, threw his college applications away so that he would stay together with Paul. This is a sad, tragic, desperate, grasping, seeking, holding something that is not holdable, which is this moment. It is seeking conditional love in the face of what this is, which is unconditional love and acceptance because there's only this. And so when Danny feels that Paul is either dead or lost forever, that's one massive shift. His whole worldview is starting to be disintegrated, to dissolve, and that's necessary, but not sufficient sometimes for this kind of awakening. Everything the mind thought was stable and, and, and was providing some stability is taken from you in this path to awakening. Now, for Amy, it's the same thing. She's nearly lost her daughter to these kidnappers. She's nearly lost her life. And then she finds out that George, her husband, want, she, he wants a divorce and he's taking custody of the child. And because of all this violence that's happened, she could lose custody of her child. Okay, well, for her, her seeking for happiness to fill the void, because through flashbacks you see, she had a very dysfunctional childhood. Her dad was a cheater. She witnessed all this shameful stuff. She engaged in a lot of shameful stuff. She even had a character that she developed, this witch that would tell her, you know, I'm watching you, and, but I'll never tell your shame because no one would ever love you if they saw this. Let, let that sink in for a second. When we're children, we're conditioned by society, by, by good-meaning parents, by all of it, to be a good boy or a bad boy or a good girl or a bad girl. You do good things or you do shameful things. And the child is very sensitive, actually internalizes this as I'm either, you know, I'm always broken, but I can be less broken. By the way, that sense of brokenness is because the child actually knows that there is no winning the human game. There's no being perfectly good. There's no, there's no perfection in this relative form. It is fundamentally flawed. So they see clearly that of course, this relative expression can't be perfect. It's gonna have all these flaws, but we're taught and conditioned that these are never to be shared. They're shameful. And that if anyone looks there, it would be the end of you. No one would love you. And Amy's flashback makes this explicit in this character she creates from a book of the witch that says, I see what you're doing and I'm judging you, but I won't tell anyone because you would be ruined. No one would love you. Okay. Now she goes through life holding this and she feels like she can fix this by accomplishing, by making money, by being successful, by having the Mercedes SUV, by having the house, by selling the plant company to the Walmart equivalent. Um, so she does all that. She has the husband and the husband initially makes her happy, makes her feel, she says it, she makes me feel like I was high for a year, a year. And then what? Then that fades. 
And then she says, I'll have my, my child, my daughter. And initially I would look at her and just be like, oh, you're the solution. You make me feel whole because you see me unconditionally and love me even though I'm so broken. Like you can see that and, and, and this is what I need is to be seen and still loved. But then she notices that even the child's love is conditional. She can't find unconditional love. And her husband, who she married partially because he's so good, even though he kind of cheated on her, he seems to accept her even though she's kind of broken and that's wonderful for her. But when it comes out what she really is, what, what she's done and what, how, you know, how, when she comes clean to him, he wants a divorce. So there's conditional love. So now everything she thought in the mind that she had to hide because she'll lose everything, it turns out it was true in that relative sense. And everything she thought she cared about is dying away. So they've both lost, in a sense, everything they thought they needed to be happy, but they were never happy and they know it. And at this point, the poison, the dehydration, whatever psychedelic component is in this, breaks them down and they literally sit there and start talking, they start engaging. And these are people who were mortal enemies for the majority of the show, although you could tell they were soulmates in that sense, not romantically, they were soulmates in that they are the same, just different expressions of the same kind of sense of brokenness. And as this unfolds, they start opening up more and more, telling each other all kinds of things and Danny tells Amy, you know, that day that you honked at me, I was coming back from this, the superstore that ended up buying your plants, plant business, because I was trying to return a bunch of hibachi grills that I'd bought so that I could light them in my house and kill myself with carbon monoxide poisoning. And they wouldn't even take them back. It's almost like the universe wanted me gone. So he admits this to her and she admits a bunch of stuff to him and then it becomes very weird. They merge consciousness at one point and they're speaking with the same voice and it's unclear. They even say this, who am I? This is awakening 101, the fundamental questioning of who or what am I? This identity shift of wait, what? And then they each assume the other's identity in the opposite body, which of course is as valid as anything because there's just one happening. And Danny is speaking from Amy's perspective in life and Amy is doing the same through Danny's life. And there's some funny stuff that happens, but there's some very direct awakening material here. And one of them is Amy says, you know, when nowhere feels like home, you retreat into yourself. How many people can relate to that? And then she talks about this feeling that she's had since she was young. And there are people who are very sensitive to this and they tend to wake up or seek at some point in their lives or they become artists or they end up hurting themselves or having severe depression. And it's the people who recognize the emptiness of reality. The emptiness, meaning there's no substance here. There's nothing to hold on to. 
Nothing is permanent. And she effectively says so much. I've never been able to describe this feeling, but it's like this void on, just under the surface. And then the other person chimes in and says, but it's not a void. It's solid in a way. Yes, it's solid and a void. It's form and emptiness, emptiness and form. And then they say, isn't it tragic how it seems like everything is like a catch-22, like the book, life is a catch-22. You can't have the joy without the sadness, the light without the dark. You can't have form without emptiness. And so nothing sticks. Nothing is permanent. It's this radical impermanence. And to the mind, to the mind that believes that this is real, that this dream is actually all there is. And by the way, you can even believe that it isn't all there is. Danny in the show flirts with going to the Korean church and feeling really connected to the sense of something bigger than him. And that was the gate, that was a door to his awakening. Even with all the trappings of organized religion, he feels that connection to surrender himself, this non-existent self that feels so shameful and broken that doesn't even exist in the sense we think. It's just thoughts and beliefs and patterns. The sense of I is a series of processes. What's underneath it is what they're pointing at. Empty fullness, the radiant eternal nature of this and every moment. That's all there's ever been is this here and now radiating the appearance of everything. Isn't it beautiful and miraculous? But to the mind, it feels like emptiness, like a void, like what's wrong, what's going on? And people who are sensitive to that, especially children can feel this. They don't know what to do. They're always seeking to fill a hole that was never a hole for a self that isn't real. And why is that self there? Because it's reified, it's made real by our parents and our society and our culture and our language, which is dualistic. Like they say, light and dark, self and other. That's built into our language. We have pronouns, which we obsess about. We have a verb, which implies we're doing something. And we have an object, which implies a separation. All of that is a construction in the dream appearance. So as they start spilling their guts about how they both, they're like, I've never been able to talk about this with anyone and I've never understood what this is. And they both understand each other. They both see it clearly. And as that seeing happens, their identity is always is already so fluid. They don't know who's who anymore. Danny inhabiting Amy's consciousness tells the Danny body or the, the Amy body that, you, you know, he says, you poor thing, I see your life. He says, I see all of it. All you wanted was to not be alone. And in a way, that's Amy seeing Danny, right? Seeing, seeing what was unseen, unspoken. But it's also Danny talking from his own body. He's seeing himself. He's seeing what was hidden, what he could not admit to himself, what he constantly repressed and denied, jumped into thought, jumped into other emotions like anger projected to avoid seeing the fundamental 
truth that he didn't want to be alone. That was the, 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 that was his manifestation. So in a way it was she seeing him, but also him finally seeing himself in this way, bringing this darkness into the light. And then Amy inhabiting Danny's or Danny's consciousness is there, sees Amy and says, I see everything in your life. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I see it all. And I still love you, right? So beautiful. And then they say, I think we're dying. And this is, they think it's literal. They think they're dying. The body has literally been broken down. They've lost everything in the relative world. Their darkest secret that they thought would destroy them has now been revealed to themselves and to the other, apparent other, who's not the other. Just look how that scene is shot. They're the same one. And then they lose consciousness. And when they wake up, the first thing they do is laugh with joy because they're liberated. The sense of self that held them prisoner has been released and all they're seeing is the radiant expression of everything, including all the difficult emotions, all the joy, all the sadness, all the seeking, all of it is seen clearly from the awakened view, which is it's just this. There never was a self to bear the burden of shame and the shame that you thought was so devastating is just yet another appearance and it's perfect and beautiful and it's unconditional love that Amy, that they were both seeking. They were both seeking unconditional love. And at the end of that seeking, that's when they saw that it's all, it's what we're made of. <laughs> and the title of the episode, the title of the episode is Figures of Light. Where does that come from? It comes from a quote by Carl Jung, the famous psychologist who talked about the shadow and the kind of unconscious and the collective and individual unconscious. And the quote is something like, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light. One does so by making the darkness conscious. by making the darkness conscious, by looking where you most fear to look. And I can tell you from personal experience, that's the gate. That's the gate, allowing that. They call it shadow work, you can call it you know, trauma work, whatever it is, but feeling right into it. And that's the whole series arc. They start with all the repression and the projection and the denial, and they start feeling it and remembering and flashing back. She goes and sees her parents. All this stuff unfolds and it culminates with their deaths, their figurative deaths and the rebirth on the other side as liberated beings that see everything as not to. And then the final ending of it, when he's been shot by George and all this has gone down, um, she finally finds that home that she hasn't found by crawling into bed with him and curling up and just being there day and night. And the last glimpse you get is of his hand kind of starting to move and go 
to embrace her. I tell you, man, I, I, so I saw it last night and I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning and I just couldn't stop feeling it. Like that's fucking great TV. And that's Awakening 101, that's shadow work, that's emotional repression, that's intergenerational trauma. It's just beautiful. So that's my take. I just had to make this video because otherwise I wasn't gonna sleep another night. So <laughs> I feel better talking about it. <laughs> All right, guys, I love you. Till next time. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.